All right, I think we're about ready here. If we can find our seats and get started here, we're going to go to Jonah chapter 3. Um, pastor was up here taking too much of his time. I was reminded of a, of a pastor friend of mine years ago who had a, an evangelist. He was older than, older than I was, but he had an evangelist come in who was notoriously long-winded. And uh, he told him that uh, when we preach tonight, we're done at 9 o'clock. He says, so I'd like for the service to be over at 9 o'clock. He said, I already have your check. He had a generous love offering check. And for every minute you go over 9, $100 comes off this check. So it was strange that preacher was done by 9. In fact, he had a couple minutes to spare, I think. So uh, I don't know if we need to go that route or not. But, uh, Jonah chapter 3. Walt Davis was totally paralyzed by polio when he was 9 years old. But he didn't give up. He became an Olympic high jump champion in 1952. Lou Gehrig, most of us know that name, was a very clumsy ball player so much, as a youth, so much so that when he was a boy, they didn't even, the neighborhood kids didn't even let him play on their teams. But he was dedicated. He didn't give up. He kept working at it. Eventually, his name was entered into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Shelley Mann was also paralyzed by uh, polio when she was five years old. She didn't give up. She eventually claimed eight swimming records for the United States and a gold medal in the 1956 Olympics. Woodrow Wilson couldn't read until he was 10 years old, had uh, serious problems as a youth, but he was dedicated, and uh, we know he became the 28th president of the United States. Dedication is every bit as important as skill. Dedication will get you to greater heights than ability will. And uh, Jonah has learned his lesson. He's been commissioned, as we looked at last time, for the second time. You know, the Lord comes to him again and tells him to go into Nineveh. And this time he responds in obedience. Uh, you learn lessons when you're swallowed by fish and you go into bad situations like that. So Jonah did not mess around this time. It says he arose and went to Nineveh as he was ordered. In fact, let's read the verses here and then we'll get into it. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Well, let's go to verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the, the, this is our choice when we're serving God. It's either dedication or disobedience. We uh, can disobey like Jonah did the first time, or we can determine to do what God says and obey like he did the second time. So if you have little passion for the things of God, you're going to have less tendency to obey because the more dedication you have for God, the more apt you'll be to obey the things he tells us to do. But let's talk tonight about the dedication of Jonah here. Just a few points I want to make out of these verses. Uh, we look first at the spirit of dedication. Look what it says here. Then, so Jonah arose, verse 3, and went to Nineveh. Now, this is a simple, matter-of-fact statement, but it is loaded with important facts about Jonah's dedication. And oh, that we could get God's, all God's people as dedicated to serving God as Jonah was here. Remember, Nineveh was a dangerous place to go to. We kind of broke that down earlier. Uh, it, was a, it was a bad place for a preacher to go put up his milk crate, jump up and start preaching. It was a bad place to do that. 
Jonah wanted to avoid it at all costs. And plus, if you read uh, history and put some things together, it's very possible that Jonah's dad was killed by the Assyrians. And so uh, this, this, there's a lot of reasons Jonah wouldn't have wanted to go. But he went. So Jonah arose and went. Uh, there's a promptness, a spirit of promptness here that we see. He didn't sit around and wait and vet the assignment. Uh, the text here speaks of promptness. It tells us that immediately after God said go, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. There's no delay, no procrastination, no waiting for a more convenient time. He immediately obeyed. Uh, does anybody other than me have a problem with procrastination? <laughs> uh, you'll raise your hand tomorrow? Okay, I get it. Uh, procrastination makes easy things hard and hard things harder. Procrastination is, and I, I got, I've dealt with that my whole life. It's so easy to put off tomorrow what we should do today. Many of us struggle with procrastination. I, I read this. I don't know who wrote this, but I could identify. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. And uh, that's, that's what procrastination does. It puts off till tomorrow what we ought to do today. Promptness is a great aspect of dedication. Dedication does not delay. And if we're dedicated to doing what God wants us to do, we'll go. God said go, and so Jonah arose. And it was a great, that's a great testimony for him. And uh, it's easy for us to put off things and uh, wait to get around to doing things that we ought to be doing. The, uh, the last year I was reading along this line, and uh, I came across the eat the frog principle. Have you heard, read about that, where you're supposed to eat the frog first thing in the morning? So the most difficult thing or the hardest thing you have to do that day, they liken that to the frog. Eat the frog first thing. Do the hardest thing first. Get it out of your way and instead of procrastinating. And so those are, those are things we have difficulty with. Hard work is often easy work that you don't do at the proper time. Hard work is often created because we procrastinate and let it get worse. So there's a spirit of promptness. There's also a spirit of diligence here. Benjamin Franklin uh, said, Diligence is the mother of good luck. Uh, a lot of people like to depend on luck. Well, diligence is a lot better. Uh, we won't get very far without diligence. Now, Jonah's assignment here, again, would require some hard work. He had to go all the way to Nineveh. Nineveh was about 500 to 600 miles from Jonah's home. It was a hard journey, a long journey, but diligence will be found in dedication. The dedicated soul will not be afraid of hard work. The diligent soul is not going to be afraid of some sweat. Uh, and, and if we're diligent in doing God's work, we'll be willing to get our hands dirty in it. We're willing to put in the hours, put in the uh, work, and, and be a self-starter, not have to be told all the time. The only way, the only place that success comes before work is in your dictionary. It doesn't come before work in any other area. And we certainly need more workers for God in the church. And uh, some people are, few people are willing to work. Most people want to sit. I'm using this Sunday, so you're going to hear it twice. But my churches are like football games where you have hundreds of people, thousands of people desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 people desperately in need of rest. That's how some churches operate as well. And uh, so we need to be willing to work, need to be willing to do what God tells us to do. We like the spotlight. We like the uh, recognition. But too few have the dedication that includes diligence. If you read uh, the Apostle Paul's writings, 
Pauline epistles. You'll see work and labor all throughout. Let me give you a few. Second Thessalonians 3.8, we wrought with labor night and day. 1 Corinthians 15.10, I labored more abundantly. Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor. Philippians 4.3, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.9, we labor. Uh, he was not afraid of work. He was not afraid of, of uh, a little sweat, and we ought not be either. Jonah could not fulfill his commission if he was not diligent. And can I say, neither will we. We have to be diligent about doing what God wants us to do. And then there is also a spirit of unselfishness here. You can't be dedicated to God's work and be selfish. Jonah had to put away, aside his own desires, his own safety, in order to do God's work. And again, he wasn't willing to do so at first, but now he's repented. Uh, when he was, in, we saw in the prayer in chapter 2, he is repented and now he's ready to do what God tells him to do. Uh, we cannot be serious about serving God and selfish at the same time. The Bible tells us, Jesus actually said, if any man would follow me, must deny himself, Matthew 16, 24. I think really what part of what dedication to God is, is unselfishness. We're putting ourselves aside and taking on his will in our life. And uh, this goes against today's culture, most definitely. Self is king in most people's lives. My rights, my interests, my concerns all must come first. That type of attitude doesn't serve God well, yet we have them. We have, we have that attitude in the church all the time where it's, uh, we're focused on inward, all on me and how I'm treated. It requires an unselfish spirit to inspire us to be dedicated to God's will. Talk is cheap. Dedication is expensive. And uh, dedication, not talk, gets the job done. And so Jonah here we see was dedicated. So let's also look at then the standard of dedication, either the spirit of dedication, the standard of dedication is, verse 3, according to the word of the Lord. This is the standard that we measure the legitimacy of our dedication to God. We judge it by the word of God. A lot of times, even Christians, even we can be guilty of this, we judge Christian service like the world judges it. We look for what impresses the flesh. So in other words, if somebody has a big church with impressive crowds and big buildings and, and great big ministry with a lot of outreach, they must be really dedicated to God. But these things don't validate dedication. A lot of people have that today, and they aren't doing things according to the word of the Lord. Uh, it might be a selfish thing. It might be uh, self, not God, that's running the show. Uh, the flesh, uh, the, not the spirit, is performing, and we could start naming names, and I don't like to do that because I don't like to be the judge of that anyway, but there's some things that, there's a lot of churches and ministries that we can see that probably aren't, uh, that, that are probably more for themselves than they are for doing things according to the work of the Lord. So Jonah, though, could have been along this line. He could have put on quite a show. Hey, Jonah had a pretty good testimony, didn't he? Imagine if he went to the talk shows of that time. He'd been in a fish for three days. He had quite the story, but it wasn't about Jonah, it was about the Lord. He went according to the word of the Lord. And if it's not according to the word of the Lord, then it is not dedication, it's disobedience. And so we ought to always vet uh, everything that we do according to the Bible and keep it along the lines of the, of the word of God. All the things that are impressive to men are not necessarily true tests of dedication. And then let's look at the scene of dedication. The scene that confronts Jonah when he gets to Nineveh 
does not encourage dedication. It encourages running the other direction, which is what Jonah wanted to do in the first place. Nineveh has already been described by God in chapter 1 as a great city. Now here in verse 3, he calls it exceeding great. None of these greats had anything to do with goodness. This is not what he means by great. Uh, it simply referred to their large land area. The, it describes Nineveh as a city of three days' journey, which, according to what I was uh, read here, is about 60 miles in circumference because they considered 20 miles a day's journey. So uh, this was a big area. It's a big land area. And all this greatness was of little value because of another great that Nineveh possessed, and that was her wickedness. She was very wicked. Uh, what is the greatest value of any community is its spiritual condition, not its wealth. Now, Nineveh might have had all that stuff going for them, just like America has a lot going for it today. But when there's spiritual deadness, uh, that's the wrong great to claim. Nineveh was so great in his wickedness that God threatened to destroy them. And all their great size, their walls, their whatever they had as far as protection goes, would not prevent judgment from coming. There, the, the, but, but all that being said, it still would be a big threat to Jonah. It would not have been something that would be... It was a, it was a fearful thing to go to Nineveh. Now, we talked a little bit about the practices. I mean, they were the ones that put heads on spikes. They were the ones that burned people for street lamps. They were horrible, horrible people. And he's told to go in there and start preaching to them. And so this was not a, an easy thing for him to do. This will prove difficult for him. And he had no radio, he had no television, he had no social media to spread the word quickly. He was just one man with one voice that would have to go up and down the streets proclaiming what God told him to say. The enormity of the task in front of Jonah is overwhelming, but can I remind you, God is not always in the business of handing out easy tasks. I wonder, we've heard numerous times testimonies from Brother Martin, but um, I wonder if 10, 15, 20 years ago you could foresee all that you've been able to do. I mean, there's no way. If, if God would have said, okay, now I want you to do this, this it would th seem impossible. Yet just being obedient and being in the way of what God wants us to do, and he can help us accomplish great things. But duty is seldom, if ever, without difficulty. Everything worthwhile is uphill. It's not going to be easy for the things that we do for the Lord always, but we need to remember God never tells us to do something we cannot do. Isn't that good? The God who calls is always the God who enables. Humanly speaking, I mean, think about this from a human aspect. No man, no one man could cause such an influence in such a great city in such a short time like Jonah did. But when God's in it, we can expect great things to happen, and it's the same for us today. The Ninevehs we face might not be as daunting as what faced Jonah, but to us it can seem just as overpowering. It can seem just as impossible. Jonah surmounted the huge difficulties of Nineveh because God was with him, and God's with us too if we're doing his will, and we can expect to overcome our Ninevehs. So let's then look at the sermon. I'm a preacher, so I'm always interested in sermons. And Jonah's sermon is interesting. Look, look what it says here. He started preaching after he begun, began to enter into the city a day's journey. So he walked a whole day from the outer limits of the city. The outer limits of the city probably would be less populated, probably be uh, fields and rural areas. And so the more Jonah walked, the greater 
the population density. And once he got to where the crowds were, he starts to preach. And this is what he did. Cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. A couple things about the sermon. It was heartfelt. This is seen in the fact that he cried out the message to the people. There's nothing hesitant or passive or timid about Jonah's preaching. In fact, he could not be timid in preaching a message like this. He had to be passionate or his timidity would contradict his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, if that's all right with everyone. Now, he couldn't be timid about the message, amen. He was uh, declaring this from God, so it demanded that it be preached with passion. The sermon was also plain. He was not out to impress people. Uh, this was not a three points in a poem type message. Uh, it was just a, uh, he didn't wow the bystanders with the philosophical death, depth of his knowledge. And uh, that isn't always, doesn't, it's not my idea of good preaching anyway. I mean, uh, he just gave the message clear and plain. No one would have any difficulty understanding what he's talking about. You didn't listen to Jonah and say, I wonder what he meant by that. It was pretty plain. And he just gave it as it was. You didn't have to be a genius to understand what Jonah was preaching. And as a preacher, I can tell you, this requires some courage. It's not easy when facing a threatening audience uh, to, to, to barrel out a message like he did. Sometimes you want to cover it, you want to make it nicer, you want to pour some sugar on it, uh, or change the wording. Politicians are really gifted at this, and so are many preachers, unfortunately. They don't have the courage to be plain. But Jonah was a prophet of God whose dedication at this point in his life was to do to, to serve God correctly, it was very strong at this point, and so he was going to give this message. And we need, to, uh, we need to understand what kind of courage this took for him. The sermon was also humbling. Nineveh was a great city. The Ninevites knew that. They would have been, a, as people of a city like this would be, they would have been very proud of that. And yet Jonah had to tell Nineveh they were so bad that in 40 days, God's going to wipe them off the map. It, that sermon insulted Nineveh's greatness. It treated it with scorn. It was a message that would be extremely humbling to them. And that's why, obviously, Jonah feared for his life initially, probably still did, uh, you know, because giving a message like that could get uh, him killed very quickly. Today, uh, we can look at this message, and I'm sure there's some seminarians Seminary is just another word for cemetery, in my opinion. But you could take seminarians today, that religious leaders that would like to have a little talk with Jonah. Uh, Got to tone it down. Um, you're never going to help them with their spiritual need, talking like this. Uh, you don't want to name names when you're talking about sin. Uh, you might offend the sinner. You want to be a popular preacher, preach against sin. You want to be an impopular preacher, un unpopular preacher, preach against sins. Little S makes a big difference, and uh, when you start calling them out, and so don't don't do anything to upset them. You might lose them, but the truth is, friends, sinners need to be humbled. They need to be humbled. They need to be aware of their sin. Did you know arrogant people don't bow their heads at the cross and receive Christ? They're not they're not uh, seeking out for salvation, and it's not easy preaching a humbling message. It requires dedication that few preachers have, but it's a message that's needed today. And uh, Jonah was not afraid to. I don't think, I don't think he was overcome with a lot of love anyway, <laughs> for the Ninevites. 
but uh, he gave the message clear and plain. And then, this is a surprise maybe to hear, the sermon was gracious. You look at the words that Jonah preached, and it doesn't seem to me like it was very gracious. I mean, where's the grace? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the altar call? Where's the every head bowed and raise your hand if you want to get right? Uh, he, would just, he just brought destruction. He didn't bring salvation. He just brought judgment. And uh, if he were a pastor, <laughs> the people would march in his office. You are being mean. You're very mean and you're not very nice. You're unkind. You're unloving. But Jonah's sermon was a sermon of grace because his sermon was a warning. Nineveh, by the way, heeded that warning, and they were spared judgment. Had they not got the warning, they wouldn't have been spared the judgment. So it was a sermon of grace. And I ask you today, is it harsh, unloving, or mean to warn people of upcoming devastating judgment? Of course not. What kind of love would allow a person to plunge headlong into great harm when they don't even know it? doesn't take love. That, that, that's not love at all. And God gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. He didn't have to give them any time to repent. He could have simply destroyed them without any warning. By the way, that's what he did for Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't have to give them warning, and yet he did. Uh, they were a very wicked people, and God graciously gave them a warning by sending Jonah to preach to them. People habitually misjudge or disparage preaching against sin, call it uh, mean-spirited, hateful. They don't, or they fail to see the grace in preaching against sin. But I, I, I really believe, folks, that, that, that one of the most loving things we can do for people is to preach against sin. Sin is the great destroyer. Sin is what takes, separates people from God. Ultimately, sin is what will send a person to hell. We don't want to soft soap that message. You need the thundering and light, thunder and lightning of Mount Sinai before you get to the grace of Mount Calvary. And so a preacher who does not have enough compassion for men and women and people to warn them, they're a fraud in my opinion. They're not doing what God wants them to do. And so the sermon was, was gracious. I, it took me a while to see that because I, I've looked at that before and thinking, man, Jonah, you are hateful in your message, but... But the warning was there, and it was gracious that God sent it. Sermon was also fitting. If you give God's message in God's timing, you'll find your message will fit the occasion. God does not send letters to the wrong address. Uh, he doesn't send a person to preach to Nineveh a message that is not needed in Nineveh. We need to realize, I want you to stop and think on this for a second, because... When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah immediately made a judgment call of how Nineveh might respond. They'll kill me. But God was telling him to go to Nineveh, meaning God knew something about Nineveh that Jonah didn't. God could foresee their, uh, the possibility of their repenting. Jonah couldn't. Who would have thought Nineveh would repent? Nineveh is, uh, I mean, we could pick cities like Las Vegas or other dens of iniquity. Nineveh was a den of iniquity. Yet God told Jonah to go. That's why I, I encourage you. Oh, I encourage you. When you are prompted of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully all of you know what I'm talking about by this, that, that person, speak to that person. I get it strong sometimes. I get it faintly sometimes. 
but you're out and about, you might be busy, and you just get a strong inclination to that person uh, talk to them or hand them a gospel tract. You don't know what's going on in their heart, and God does. We need to obey that. We need to immediately jump on that. And if we are prompted to speak to somebody, uh, if we are convicted about going or visiting somebody, or uh, if the Lord puts that on your heart, obey that immediately because God knows what's in Nineveh. You don't. Uh, do you think you know what's in Nineveh? Jonah thought he did, but he didn't. He went and preached and they all got right. That shocked Jonah. In fact, we'll get later his uh, reaction to it. But Nineveh was a very, very wicked city. They didn't need a Joel Osteen sermon. They needed somebody to preach the word to them. And we live in very wicked and apostate times today as well. I mean, we can list the sins of our nation. Abortion, immorality, homosexuality, drugs, now this transgenderism ideology, and on and on we could go. It's not a day for soft-soaping our message. Of course, we don't mean to be, need to be hateful or spiteful, but we need to be clear and plain and giving the word as it should be given. We need to love, but the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And a lot of times there are ch many churches today that they are all about the love and they aren't about the truth. Of course, there's also churches that are all about the truth and not about the love. We don't want to be either one. Uh, you want to avoid both of those ditches. But we need to be, uh, we need to be clear on our message. And, and I can tell you, with I'm pretty confident that we are one of maybe two churches in this town out of 38 that preach against transgenderism and those type of things. And we need to be clear about that. I don't apologize for that. We need to be true to God's word. And we'll never be true to his word if we don't indict evil. And we want to love the individual, but we don't want to accept the sin. And that's why, as long as I'm here, <laughs> hopefully ever, but as long as I'm here, we're not going to hang a rainbow flag on our church like there are in some other churches in town. Uh, we love them. We want them to come to Christ, but we're not going to embrace that lifestyle of sin. We're not to be mean and offensive, but we're not to be afraid of calling sin out either. So uh, dedication, Jonah had a lot of it. Um, it those couple of verses there, you know, we read through them quickly, but a lot is packed in them verses and uh, about the fact that the things that Jonah had to overcome, the fear he had to put aside, and the dedication he had to have to go and start preaching. I, as a preacher, I tried to picture the moment he starts. I mean, he's walking into, walking into, uh, towards Nineveh. He's a mile in. And, uh, okay, now it's time. And, uh, I might have one minute to live, but here I go. And he gets up and he starts preaching. And then next week, we'll see what happens. Don't read ahead. You don't want to ruin the story, okay? So, thank you, Father, for loving us. We thank you for the opportunity.